welcome to Slovo, the podcast of the ATA Slavic Languages Division. I'm your host, Tala Bearden, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Martha Kosir. Martha was raised in Slovenia, but completed her university education in the U.S., earning her bachelor's in Spanish and German from Duquesne University, her master's in Spanish from the University of Notre Dame, and a PhD in Spanish from Vanderbilt University. She now works as a professor of Spanish and program director for global languages and cultures at Gannon University. In addition to teaching, Martha translates poetry across several different language combinations, including from Slovenian into English and Spanish, from German into English and Spanish, and from English into Spanish. Her translations include poetry collections by Bosnian-Slovenian poet Josip Osti, and Slovenian poets Katja Gorechan and Alia Adam, and her works have been published in various literary magazines and journals, including Sirena, Poetry, Art, and Criticism, Contemporary Slovenian Poetry, The International Poetry Review, The Drunken Boat, Solstice, Plume, Source, and our very own Slav File, the newsletter of the ATA Slavic Languages Division, where Martha has also served as our poetry editor since 2011. And now, on with the show. Martha, welcome to Slovo. Thanks so much for appearing today on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. So to get us started, would you tell us a little bit about how you got into translation in the first place? Yes, sure. So translation began to fascinate me in graduate school already, but I did not actively pursue it as a scholarly endeavor until much later. And then my work in academia as a language instructor keeps me in constant contact with all aspects of language. And I've always been intrigued by the linguistic differences among diverse language groups. That's why I chose, you know, to learn Spanish and German in college. And it was super interesting because I used English grammatical structures and rules for the purpose of learning and then comparing and contrasting the two language groups. But, you know, given my Slovenian background, that made it especially interesting. And I try to choose languages from, you know, different language groups simply for the purpose of, you know, learning the major differences and then being able to draw comparisons. But then most importantly, I've always been intrigued by the whole concept of meaning and how, you know, meaning is created and created and how meaning is assigned, you know, to these groups of sounds that we exchange and refer to as language. And to me, it's exciting to know that these combinations of sounds are anything but random. So language ultimately is the critical tool we use for communication, you know, notwithstanding certain forms of nonverbal communications that, or communication that we also have. But, you know, to me, the fascinating question is how we best convey our thoughts through the medium of language. How do we best verbalize and consequently share our message with other speakers or readers for that matter? And then I believe that translation is the best method for examining the accuracy of and transfer of meaning We all know that there's always more than meets the eye and the ear for that matter. 
And this more, in my opinion, is especially real, you know, in translation. So translation for me is first and foremost an interpretation. And it will vary from one translator to another. That's why I would never claim exclusivity regarding my translation. So for me, translation is and should remain an ongoing process because it strongly depends on the uh, idiosyncrasies of a translator. And that's what makes it especially interesting. And personally, I experience every act of translation as a journey. And what I love about it is that when I'm faced, let's say, with a poem, I never really know where it's going to take me. And that's the most exciting part. And I think Willis Barnstone captured the essence of translation when he claimed, and I quote, translation is the art of revelation and it makes the unknown known. That's the end of quote. So this is how I got interested into translation and actually what keeps me going and working, you know, continually with this. Yeah, I love the idea of translation as a journey and you don't know where it's going to take you. So what got you interested in poetry translation specifically, since I know that that's the majority of the kind of translation work that you do these days? Yeah, so when I first began, you know, translating poetry, I felt that it embodied perfectly that enigmatic way in which the mind and language intersect to produce meaning. So we're back to the question of meaning. And when working with poetry, I wanted to find and explore that intersection. And I came to realize that, you know, literary translation is a product of a very unique and complex relationship between a translator and language. And this relationship plays out on a number of levels, the lexical, grammatical, and very importantly, aesthetic. So translation is a journey, the realm of possibilities, but at the same time, also a realm of limitations and restrictions imposed by two different languages. So for me, Exploring those possibilities and limitations is what makes it exciting. And I feel that poetry really lends itself to that. And I have to admit, the more abstract a poem, the more I will enjoy it, because it will inherently offer many interpretations and keep the process open and, go and, and ongoing. So, you know, every translator brings their individuality to the process. And I feel that my interpretation is the expression of myself, everything that makes me who I am. And this composite of things embodied in myself plays that central role in the creation of meaning, or I should say, recreation of meaning, where most of us would agree that translation is, you know, ultimately the recreation of meaning but heavily dependent on the interpretation. And why does this matter? Overall, translation, and I firmly support Walter Benjamin's observation that 
translation gives text continued life. And I'd like to believe that I'm contributing to this endeavor, at least a little. Yeah, so you were mentioning that some of your favorite poems to read are those that are more abstract because it allows for a lot of different interpretations. So I was wondering, what are some of your favorite poems to read and to translate? Or also if you have favorite poets that you've yes. translated, could you give us some examples? Sure. Um, I actually enjoy all kinds of poetry. I do enjoy abstract, but in general, it's all kinds. It really depends on my mood. <laughs> I do like to go back in time. So um, especially as far as Spanish poets, I would say I enjoy reading Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz or Rosario Castellanos. I think I tend a lot toward feminist uh, poetry. But as for my work with Slovenian poetry, I think, you know, overall, you know, the last years, especially the last couple of years, I've been reading and working a lot with two Slovenian poets, Alia Adam and Katia Gorican. So I recently completed a translation of a collection of poems by Katia Gorican, which is called The Sufferings of Young Hannah. And this collection to me, it's amazing. It's refreshing, it's stimulating, it's thought provoking, sometimes even, uh, you know, excitingly shocking, relative as that may be, because, you know, the language there is pointed, but it's paired with humor, irony, frequent sarcasm. And the collection depicts the struggles of a young, the struggles of young woman who is transitioning into adulthood, but does it often in a very mature way. So what she does is she explores her essence as a woman, as a poet, and an individual caught in a world of exceedingly normative and prescriptive behavioral patterns. And these patterns just continue to persist. And what's really exciting about this and amazing is that Gurechan was only 17 when she published this collection. And then I've also worked quite extensively with Alia Adam. And, you know, her poetry likewise explores the essence, her essence as a woman, and on multiple levels. And what I've completed is a translation of a collection of her poetry called The Woman's Gaze, which will be published digitally on her webpage. And prior to that, I, I spent a lot of time reading and translating uh, poetry by the Bosnian, Slovenian poet Josip Osti. I truly enjoyed his works and... I have to say that one of my favorite poems of all time is Osti's poem entitled Our Garden of Love. My love is the dictionary and the grammar of my poetic language. And the reason I really enjoy this poem is that it describes, all they describe the love relationship between the poet and his beloved. At the same time, it ultimately represents an ode to language. And that, in my opinion, is the most beautiful aspect of the poem. Now, what I'm trying to do in general, I I feel that Slovenian poetry deserves a lot more attention than it's getting. 
And I like to kind of see my translation as a little mission to bring Slovenian poetic voices to readers in the US and other parts of Europe. And, you know, my translations have been shared at different, you know, readings or events, but because I feel that it's amazing how a tiny country like Slovenia has so much to offer in terms of poetry. The only problem is that the readership or the publishing industry only gives it limited attention, you know, and it's proven to be rather difficult to find a publisher over the years because they, you know, their main focus is on some of the most representative and best known voices. But I like to work with less known voices because I feel that they deserve attention as well, especially women's voices. So, um, but going back to my favorite poems, I think the entire collection, The Sufferings of Young Hannah, is something that I think would really attract the reader's attention. And the same for Alia Adams' poetry. And um, it's it's many times ex- explores that whole concept of the other, and I find that you know fascinating, and not just fascinating, important to explore. So that is you know all these poets that I've mentioned have actually been featured. If anybody is interested in reading some of their poems, they have been all featured in Slav File over the years. But yes, these are some of the representative poets that I'd like to point out. Yeah, and for listeners who are interested in taking a look, you will also be able to find links to those Slav file issues in the show notes. So definitely take a look and you can get familiar with some lesser known Slovenian poets and read some of Martha's translations. So, Martha, you were talking about both the possibilities and limitations when translating poetry and also translation as a recreation of meaning. Uh, So I was wondering if you have any particular method or approach when you translate poetry. I know some translators follow maybe a certain translation philosophy or they kind of develop their own. Do you do anything like that? Uh, Or is it more of playing it by ear each time you translate type of deal? That's interesting that you've kind of anticipated my response because I don't feel like I have a particular method nor approach because I feel that every poem is its own entity. And as I've mentioned before, each journey is distinct. So my method is to approach each poem with excitement and curiosity that I think are critical and you know, speaking of philosophy, I just, I, you know, I'd like to mention another of Barnstone's observations regarding translation. And he notes, and I quote, that translation has a mystique of living intimately with the source of being alone and beginning fresh from nothing, of remembering, interpreting, and becoming author. And that's the end of quote. So I think it's, it's, the process that matters. And, you know, when translating poetry, besides, you know, just delivering the, you know, what I feel is the meaning, the critical dimension always is to keep, you know, also the aesthetic aspect in mind. 
because you know translating for meaning alone would deprive a poem of its essential beauty which in my opinion may be hard to describe but i think it's easy to feel and easy to perceive and that is essentially my philosophy in terms of you know approaching a poem that's yeah almost as a philosophy in itself but a very uh, flexible one that allows for the nuances of each individual poem and poet so one thing that was also interesting to me is that you translate poetry in a variety of language combinations so you work from slovenian into english slovenian into spanish english into spanish and german into both spanish and english so do you find any of these combinations particularly fun or particularly satisfying or particularly challenging? And if so, what makes it so fun or satisfying or challenging? Yeah, there are a couple of things, you know, that I try to keep in mind, you know, and like I said, you know, I love to work across different languages just because it is challenging, but that's what makes it exciting. But um, if I had to pick a language, you know, my preferred language of poetry, I would have to say it is actually Spanish. And now, as far as challenges, translating, I would say that translating from Slovenian to English comes a lot more naturally to me than from Slovenian into Spanish. Of course, you know, we are speaking uh, or referring to two different language groups here anyway and I, I imagine it has to do with the fact that I learned Spanish through English by you know comparing English to Spanish grammar and syntax of course not to mention the many common lexical roots that you know exist between Spanish and English lots of cognates and none of that, you know, actually would apply to Slovenian being a Slavic language. But regardless, I think ultimately a poem will sound the best to me in Spanish. But interestingly enough is that sometimes I will translate a poem into English first and then into Spanish just to see, um, you know, what kind of challenges I may encounter. Now, the thing is, I... English is the language that I currently or work or I'm in contact most, of course, besides, you know, teaching the Spanish language. And I do read, you know, a lot in Slovenian. But um, I would say, you know, overall, I like to maintain that it's the linguistic environment that influences, you know, one's cognitive or linguistic processes and consequently the output, you know. And like I said, English is the language I speak the most, but doesn't mean that I don't enjoy working in different linguistic realms and switching from one language to another. Now, Slovenian is super interesting because, you know, there are a lot of things that exist in the Slovenian language that really um, can only be you know, found there. And one of the things that I always enjoy talking about, it's the rare grammatical dual form. And you know, the language, just like other Slavic languages, is characterized by, well, Slovenian per se, six cases, then, you know, three grammatical genders, and, you know, 
an elaborate declension system and um it's 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 beautiful and i've always loved grammar now on the other hand you know although it has a complex declension system the verbal system is pretty flexible you know we have two aspects the perfective the imperfective but really there's mainly or one form to express the present the past and the future so comparing it to spanish and english where there's so many different forms and many verb tenses it's interesting when you have to navigate among you know the, the many options that include let's say the preterite the imperfect the present and all these perfect tenses per se you know in the indicative and the subjunctive and in slovenian the equivalent of the you know past perfect doesn't really exist and the present tenses you know the most challenging is the present progressive which exists for example in both in spanish and english but not in Slovenian. Now, another difference, of course, between, you know, Slovenian and Spanish and English is the use of definite and indefinite articles. And of course, all Slavic speakers would be able to identify with the issue of using correctly the articles. Like I said, for a native Slavic speaker, it's rather challenging, you know, to use those correctly. And what's interesting, too, that the use of articles in Spanish is similar to those in English, but not exactly identical. So when you're working across languages, you know, um, and translating into those that are not your native language, you know, using those correctly requires a lot of practice. And then of course, the use of prepositions and verbs, and, you know, there are often no equivalents for prepositional verbs in English or Spanish in the Slovenian language. So again, you know, many times that just requires brute memorization. But like I said, overall, for me, this is exactly what, you know, makes it exciting and makes it interesting. And just, you know, switching from one to the other, I, I can't, I couldn't imagine just working with one. I like to work across different um, languages and different challenges so hopefully hopefully I um, I can try uh, stay as close as possible to the um, original you know keeping in mind these challenges which like I said are also exciting no that Thank does you. sound challenging for sure with all of the different grammatical and uh, lexical differences between the languages but I guess that requires a lot of just linguistic creativity then when you're um, taking the one language and recreating the meaning in the next. It does sound fun. It's yeah, it sounds like a a challenge, but a fun one. And, it's an exciting challenge. Yes. Yes. Fun. <laughs> yes. And I can't imagine. I mean, I don't work with as many languages, quite as many languages as you do, but I can't imagine how that would be enriching just for your own translation experience being able to work across these different combinations um yes yeah yes. and also you know i mean a huge aspect you know of translation is also cultural understanding mm -hmm. it's impossible to you know translate without you know specific cultural knowledge and understanding 
because certain things, and I've done a presentation at one of the conferences about the translations of humor, for example. You know, humor is so culture specific. Um, yes. And it's so interesting, that whole concept, you know, a lot of different theory regarding, you know, how and if it is at all possible, you know, to translate humor. And I think the cultural aspect there is especially critical. And But that, you know, applies to other types of texts as well. Speaking of other types of texts, have you ever tried your hand at translating other types of texts like literary prose or marketing copy or technical documents or just, yeah, anything? Yeah, so far, um, I've only done a couple of translations of technical documents for certain, you know, different projects here uh, in the community uh, where I work and teach so, but potentially I would be interested in translating medical documents. I regularly teach Spanish for medical personnel and that's something that has uh, always fascinated and I could see my, fascinated me so I could see myself working with those. Of course, I do understand that there's definitely, a, you know, you need to have knowledge of specific terminology and that's a big, you know, uh, step from going from literary translation yes. to technical or medical and you know just knowing a language doesn't mean you can automatically you know, sit down and, and and translate a medical text without I, I would say proper training mm-hmm. and background and uh, but yeah that's something I would definitely consider now as for prose as you've mentioned, I have translated a number of stories um, from Osti's The Spirits of Heinrich Böll's House. But I have to say that my true love still remains poetry. And it was interesting. It was very interesting, the experience of translating prose. You know, interestingly enough, I found poetry easier to translate than prose, which most people would find that very strange, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, it reminded me in many ways, you know, of, I did an article once about translating Heinrich Böll's uh, prose, and I couldn't help really but think of the German language, you know, because for some reason, Slovenians just love run-on long sentences. <laughs> And the biggest challenge was, was trying to break those into understandable units without losing, you know, the, the starting point. And I found that, you know, super interesting. And what I didn't like, though, is that I felt like I, was, I had to, you know, chop these sentences up. And I tend to tell my students not to use run-on sentences. And, but at the same time, I also understand the culture. And, you know, that is considered good writing. <laughs> yeah. So um, I kind of, I kind of, in a way, you know, I, I didn't want to do it, but, you know, it had to be done. So that was the challenging part, I would say. But I would like to try my hand some more, you know, with actual prose. Yeah, that is interesting. It Two types of literary translation, but then they both bring their own unique challenges. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, are there any translations that you're working on currently or projects that you have in mind for the near future? Yeah, so actually currently I am submitting this tra the translation I was uh, referring to talking about before the sufferings of young Anna to publishers. I would like to further explore, you know, contemporary feminist poetry. And, you know, the translation I did was a translation into English because I feel that, you know, um, especially for the readers here in the U.S., the translation into English would be more interesting. But I am considering translating the collection into Spanish as well. But um, I am, I'm still, I'm still looking into some other options and possibilities. But um, yeah, I think I would like my next translation to be into Spanish. So this is switching gears a little bit now, but you are the poetry editor of our very own SLD publication, Slav File. So mm. yeah, how did you get into that role? Well, it's interesting because in back in 2007, I attended my first ATA conference. It was in San Francisco. And prior to that, I had done... You know, I had already translated poetry for the journal Sirena Poetry Art and Criticism. So I had some experience translating poetry, including some Slovenian poetry. And then at the conference, I was interested in, in doing more. And um, at the end of the annual Slavic Divisions uh, meeting, I approached Lydia Stone, and uh, she was editor of Slab File and simply to inquire and ask if, you know, Slab File would be interested in Slovenian poetry and translation. And um, I was excited to learn that, yes, and I figured, you know, reading the Slab File, bringing some South Slavic voices in would be interesting to the reader. So, and that's, that's when I began submitting uh, my poetry translations, and eventually I was asked if I would be interested in editing the Slavic Poetry and Translation feature, and that's how it all began. And then, like I said, you know, I tried to bring, you know, less known voices, although, you know, in Slav Bio, we have also translated, I mean, published translations of some really accomplished, well-known, they're all accomplished, but better known Slovenian poets as well. And then some other um, poet, poets uh, from other parts of the Slavic speaking world. I, one time I did a co-translation of a Bulgarian poet um, and that was an exciting project as well. But I have to say, we're always looking for more poetry translations from other uh, parts of the you know, Slavic speaking world. So I encourage readers, if they have poetry they're working on and would like to submit to Slav File, please do so. Yeah. So if anyone listening is working on any poetry translations from Slavic languages or is interested in trying that out, then yeah, definitely get in touch. And again, for listeners who are interested in reading some of the features um, that Martha has published in Slav File, we'll have those linked below, which will include 
a couple of the works she talked about in this episode, like The Sufferings of Young, young Hannah and uh, Josip Osti's The Spirits of Heinrich Böll's House. So Martha, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast and telling us about your work in poetry translation and all of the different challenges, but also exciting and interesting moments that it brings. Well, thank you so much for having me. I uh, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for tuning into Slovo, the podcast of the ATA Slavic Languages Division. If you enjoyed this show, we invite you to subscribe and listen to past episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thank you for joining us.